an answer for despair. An answer for despair. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? I can't preach this unless you're ready to receive it. You're not going to get anything out of this if you're not in the place where you're able to say, God, speak to me. And so right now, Father, your word is about to go forth. You have spoken to me, the, the, the minister of the word today, the one that stands behind this pulpit to give what thus saith the Lord. And I pray that you would begin to meet the hearts and meet those that are here. God, as we answer according to your word and answer for despair, God, let your word speak, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. You can be seated. Uh, let, let me just, I'm going to move slow tonight on purpose. I have perhaps made this statement in some of my preaching. I honestly am not sure if I've ever said it across the pulpit. I know I have spoken it to various individuals and, and, and as we, we talk, but in our lives, we are comprised of three arenas. We operate every day in the arena of the physical. When you go to work and you, you physically do something, you walk, you pick something up, you speak, all of that is the physical life that you live. That first arena that you and I walk in is the arena of the physical. The second arena that each and every one of us operate on a consistent basis is the arena of the mind, the mental, what you think, your emotions, what you dream, what your ambitions are, how you, cogn uh, you know, the, the cognizance uh, of your mind and how it works. All of that is the mental and that is another arena that you operate in. The third arena that we operate in on a daily basis is the arena of the spiritual. All of us are created with a soul. We are created with the Spirit of God breathed into us. And, 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 and I'm not saying that you received the Holy Ghost when you were born, but the Spirit is there. And we have a spiritual side. That is why it doesn't matter who you are. There is a longing in every human being for spiritual things. It can be the wrong spiritual things, but there is a longing in every person to fulfill the, the, the calling of the Spirit on the lives of us. And it's that Three arenas, the spiritual, the mental, and the physical. I say that to say this, that when we walk through life and we go through situations and we uh, 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 ride out some storms in our life, it is very important that you identify in what arena that storm, that problem, that situation is. So, case in point. Brother Singleton, if you suddenly keeled over right now, massive heart attack, I promise you I would leave that pulpit as fast as I could and I would be either screaming it or saying it in Jesus' name and I would get to where you are. But if Jesus did not raise you up in 1.2 nanoseconds, I'm calling the nurses, I'm calling 911, and we're going to let the ambulance because what you are experiencing is a physical ailment in a physical arena. Let me do it this way. Brother Anthony, if you broke your leg right now, your leg, all of a sudden your ankle's like up around your, your, your ear. It's not supposed to be that way, you know. 
could sit here and say, I'm going to pray for you. Grab the oil. Let's touch that leg. Let's flop that leg around. You know, I'm sure that feel real good, you know. And I could, I could flop that leg. Oh, oh, heal him, heal him in Jesus' name. And I believe in healing. But if your leg doesn't come back together right away, we got to take you to an orthopedic surgeon. And they're going to have to put that leg together because what happened was a physical injury, a physical ailment. There are moments in life that we deal with the mental. There are moments in life in which we deal with, with the cognizance. Sometimes uh, 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 there, there is a chemical imbalance that can happen within the body. There is such a thing as mental Illness, then it's it is it is uh, just the same as cancer. It's just the same as other diabetes and things like that. There are chemical imbalances that happen within the body, and and the same same brain that 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 gives you endorphins, the same brain that that floods you with adrenaline so that you can do some cool things. That that same uh, uh, hormonal and, and system sometimes malfunctions. And so I'm going to go on record. You got it recording back there? I'm going on record. There is such a thing as mental illness. There is such a things in which you need some, some help. And sometimes they have to uh, help you with the, 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 the chemical balances. We need counselors. We need those that can, can walk us through. Sometimes I need somebody to just say, Brandon, you're not thinking straight. Here's how you really need to think about it. And so you have to identify, and what I going in is, am I dealing with it in the mental, the mind? And if so, then you need to get it fixed within the mental or the mind. The third arena that we walk in is the arena of the spiritual. While I guess you could probably say the arena of the spiritual is most important and overarching, but, 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 but it is, if you are going through some things, you need to realize that, that if you are dealing with something in the spiritual, Brother Harding, I got a little ring up here. If you can help me out, it's high ring. Um, you're dealing with it in the spiritual. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, my mind is all messed up. And they are trying to deal with their mental issues in the arena of the mental. But as you begin to talk to them, you realize that what they are going through is not an attack of the mind. It's because spiritually they're not where they need to be. And I have watched people who, 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 who because of their sin will absolutely lose their minds in guilt and shame and doubt. And, and, and you can go to every psychologist and you can go to every doctor and you can take every prescription of Valium or whatever you want to take, but if you don't fix it in the spiritual, it's never going to change. Now, sometimes your physical ailments are spiritual. I can't tell you exactly. I don't know that I've ever seen this, but Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the reason some of those in the Corinthian church were sick and weak and dying was because spiritually they weren't right with God. So that tells me there are moments in time in which our physical ailments needs to be addressed by a spiritual uh, 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 thing. In fact, I, I would just dare say, just reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that, and I don't know what it was, I don't know what sickness or what ailment, what physical ailment they were going through, but I would post it to you, posit to you that, that 
they could go to every doctor in town. They could take every MRI. They could take every CAT scan. They could do every lab they wanted to do, but it would not help them until they got their spiritual side right. But case in point, sometimes you try to handle everything on a spiritual level. When God says, dude, your leg's broke, go to an orthopedic surgeon. You with me? I'm not denying the healing power of Jesus Christ. But I am telling you we operate in three arenas. And it is important that we understand in what arena are we dealing with so that we can help that issue in it. Now, now you say, now, Pastor, why did you start there? I started there because it is absolutely vitally important for you to understand that I believe in doctors, I believe in, in counselors, I believe in psychologists, I believe in psychiatrists, I believe in chiropractors. All of that is good. If you're dealing today with, with mental illness, you can come and talk to me. I'm not going to throw it under the bus. I'm not going to say that, that, that it, it doesn't exist. I've been around the block long enough to know that we deal with things in the mental side. But I am blown away at the darkness that surrounds our world today. I, I am blown away when I begin to look and see those that have committed suicide. It, I, I'm, I'm on several different places where, where I get my news. It's, it's more, you know, Christian news or, or spiritual news and, uh, uh, you know, church news and things like that. And, and there's a, a, a high-profile uh, pastor who, who had a ministry in mental, uh, helping people with mental illnesses. And just this last week, he committed suicide, even though he himself was trying to help others that were in that same place. I see it. I've lost friends to the, the, the danger of suicide. I've, I've been at families' homes where their 14-year-old girl waited until they walked to the grocery store, and then she went and hung herself in their home. I've sat in those homes. I've dealt with that. I was at the scene of a man who on his 50th wedding anniversary woke up and took his own life while his wife lay in bed beside him on their 50th anniversary. It's real. And I'm not denying the mental. I'm not denying the chemical imbalances. But I am 100% convinced that too often we deal with the mental on the doctor's side and the counsel side. When in reality, as I begin to look and I begin to see, perhaps we have used the word depression a bit too often and I'm not making light of depression. But I want to change the word today from depression, which is a clinical term. And I want to give you another term that is synonymous with the word depression, but yet it speaks far more volumes than simply the clinical word, and that is the word of despair. Despair in the dictionary, it, it says this, despair is the complete absence of hope. When I begin to look at the world that we live in today, when I begin to examine what is going on, and I know we use the word depression, it is a very real thing. I get that. I understand that. But I'm telling you today, we would do ourselves good to look at it not in the clinical term, but look at it in the term of despair. 
We are living in a day characterized by despair. We've got people in our churches. We've got people in our families. We've got people in our schools and at our work that are walking through life with this understanding that they are completely absence of any hope. I do not make light of suicide. I, I need you to understand that I do not make light of suicide. But in a, in a part of my mind, Brother Don, I understand. I, I can at least empathize. Maybe that's the better word. I can empathize with a person that has lost all hope, saying to themselves, what more is there? I am here today to preach. I have agonized over it. I have prayed over it. I have asked God to speak and I'm here today to tell you that if you are standing or sitting in this building today and there is even an inkling of despair in your life, if there is a situation that you have been bumping up against and somewhere you are saying things like, I don't think there's any hope. I don't think anything's ever going to change. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm here today to tell you in the power of the Holy Ghost there is an answer for your despair I, 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 I just literally right before I walked up God began to speak to me and put something in my mind he says in Luke chapter 21 I want you to listen to me I'm just going to kind of tell you why, why we are where we are Luke chapter 21 he begins to tell him you know are the disciples, you know, they're asking what, what, what's going to happen, how, how this end of time is going to come. And Luke chapter 21 and verse 10, he says, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. There will be terrors, great signs from heaven. They're going to persecute you. They're going to lay their hands on you. They'll deliver you up to synagogues and prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you how to answer You'll see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Its desolation has come near. If you're in the city, flee as fast as you can out. If you're out in the country, don't come in the city. It's going to be days of vengeance, and it's going to fulfill that which was written. There'll be signs in the sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, listen, on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of seas and waves. People fainting with fear. And foreboding of what is coming on in the world. That sounds to me a lot like despair. The powers of heaven will be shaken. He says, when you see all these things take place, straighten up, raise your head. Your redemption is drawing near. But it's that verse 34 that God impressed upon me. He said, but watch yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, with drunkenness and cares of this life, and the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. It will come upon all who dwell in the face of the earth. I'm telling you today, this is not just a, a, a epidemic uh, of depression that's brought in because we talk about it more or because social media is, is helping do it. Why there is a lack of, dis or why there is a despair that runs rampant through our cities, our towns, our families, and our churches is because we are living in a day and age in which God said your hearts. In fact, there's another verse that says men's heart will fail themselves. Despair absence of hope I think I've set the stage enough 
Now would you let me pre please speak to you and let you know that there is an answer. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to go through the whole chapter. And so I want you to stick with me. First Kings chapter 19. To, to set it so you know what's happening right before that is that incredible uh, uh, battle, if you will, of God and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It's that place where Elijah strides with with great uh, uh, power and he walks up there and there's almost 800 prophets of Baal at some point that begin to take their, their part and they they are, are he, he says let's have a contest we'll make two altars you can put everything on the altar just don't put any fire and and I'll pray you you pray to Baal and then I'll pray to God Almighty and the God that answers by fire we know is true so the prophets of Baal all day long man they do every incantation, they do every chant they do everything they know to do to get the attention of a false god and nothing happens and here's old Elijah on the other side, he's ribbing them, he's having fun, hey I don't think you're loud enough and the funny thing is they'd get louder hey I don't think your god can hear you and they'd get hey I don't think you got your god's attention and they started pulling out knives and rocks and cutting themselves and, and going crazy they were expending their energy they were expending their blood their voices and I can only imagine that after all day long of that it gets to the place where those prophets due to exhaustion and lack of blood and, and loss of blood they are literally just laying on the ground they have nothing else to give and there hasn't even been a spark that prophet of Baal's or, or that, that God of Baal's altar and then here is Elijah in the power of God Almighty prays a prayer I think it's like 63 words something like that he don't do anything grand he just prays heavens open up fire comes down in fact before that uh, Elijah was so confident of God's response that he poured 12 55 gallon drums of water all over everything then he prays that prayer, fire falls. Not only does it, does it eat up the wood and the sacrifice, but it burns up the altar. It licks up the dust around. In my mind, there's nothing but a scorch mark on the top of that mountain. And then he goes and he sits. There's been a, 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 a great drought. He goes and he sits. He's waiting. He tells his servant, he says, it's about to rain. I need you to tell me when the clouds are coming. No cloud yet. Elijah, yeah, no cloud yet. Oh, wait, I see a little tiny cloud on the horizon. I mean, if I put my hand up, I can almost block out the cloud. It's almost the size of a man's hand. And Elijah goes, oh, get ready, get ready, get ready. Gird up your loins. We got to run. Elijah outraces a chariot full of, uh, uh, of King Ahab's men and, and beats them there. And by the time they pull into town, it's raining cats and dogs. It's leaving poodles everywhere. It's an amazing thing. There's mud flowing everywhere. Some of y'all didn't catch it, but it's okay. Um, he, thank you, Brother Harpole. He, he, he's going to rain is everywhere. And from that mountaintop experience, 1 Kings 19 unfolds. Ahab goes home. I know Ahab was king, but he's the weakest man I've ever seen in my life. 
He's just been on the top of the mountain where God Almighty has incinerated a, a, a sacrifice. And he, he goes home and maybe Jezebel goes, hey, hallelujah, God of Baal answered because the God of Baal was the God of fertility. And so when they wanted rain, when they wanted their crops to grow good, they'd pray to Baal. And so I can imagine as Ahab strolls in, oh, Jezebel's all excited. Hey, Baal must have answered. It's raining. Woo, we're going to have some crops. And Ahab goes, no, no, it's not Baal. In fact, all your prophets that you used to have, they're all dead. Yeah, I, I, let me tell you what happened. I mean, I was up there and all of your prophets began to cut themselves and try to do everything and there wasn't even an answer. I mean, it didn't even thunder. And then I, uh, Elijah prays his prayer and the Holy Ghost falls. I mean, it's powerful. And but, but instead, he goes home to Jezebel, tells her all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. will not you listen to me? Jezebel right then could have gathered up the national army and found Elijah and killed him right then and there. But the enemy doesn't work that way. The enemy is not interested in just killing you at night and letting it be done and letting you be a martyr for God. He's not interested in that. So instead, in, instead of, of, of Jezebel saying, I'm going to kill him, Jezebel says, give me a piece of paper and a stamp and a letter. And Jezebel begins to write, Elijah, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. In fact, let Baal kill me if I don't do it to you. And she begins to write, and she gives it to a messenger. The Bible says that messenger sends to, goes to Elijah, so the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. And then Elijah is afraid. It, Brother Bob, it don't make a lick of sense how you can walk off the mountaintop of Mount Carmel while the fire falls and you get a letter from a woman and, 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 and it scares you half to death and you lose your ever-loving mind. But the enemy's done that to some of you. No, he didn't reach into your life and try to kill you, but he sure did start putting stuff in your mind, and he started talking to you, and he started doing this, and all of a sudden, you begin to listen to the words of the enemy more than you listen to the word of God, and you start quaking in your boots, and you start letting hope leave, and you find yourself in despair when you listen to the enemy's words. He comes to discourage you. He comes to speak lies to you. He comes to tell you you're not worth it. He comes to tell you your ministry ain't worth it. He comes to tell you your family ain't worth it. He comes and he gives you all these reports and you're standing there shaking, listening to the words of the enemy and your heart's failing you and your mind begins to play tricks and you think it's all over and you take off running for your life and you outrun So Elijah takes off. He was afraid. He arose and ran for his life. He comes to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and he leaves his servant there. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, made this statement. He said, Elijah retreated before a beaten enemy. I hope you feel the weight of what I'm preaching. If you think I'm just trying to, to, to pump you up, 
If you think I'm just trying to give you a little cool sermon and you can go home and feel good for a moment, you're missing everything that I'm saying. This is not a pep talk. This is not a motivational speech. This is the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me, Brother Anthony, that way back in the book of Genesis, there was a prophecy that said one day that old Satan, that old snake is going to bruise the heel of a Savior. But that Savior is going to plant his heel firmly on the head of that serpent and kill him. Everything the devil is throwing at you, he's fighting with a broken head. He's fighting you and he's already been defeated. But some of you are retreating before a beaten enemy. God's already told you he's got it. You have allowed the words of the enemy You've allowed the discouragement of the enemy. You've allowed the depression and the despair to come. And you have retreated and ran. Listen to me. You have ran away from the presence of God. And right now, you are walking by sight and not by faith. Hopefully you understand that's not biblical. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. It's the same thing that the spies said when they came and went and spied out uh, uh, Jericho, spied out the promised land. They came back and they say, we see in our own eyes that we are like grasshoppers in the enemy's sight. You've allowed the despair to dictate what you think you are. But you're not a grasshopper in the sight of the enemy. In fact, 40 years later, when they go back and finally send two more spies into Jericho. So the first ten spies came back and they said, we're like, spy, we're, like, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. But when they come back, Brother Peters, 40 years later, you know what Rahab told them? Our hearts did melt when we heard the Israelites were coming. See the difference? They said the enemy is bigger than us, but the enemy was saying, you're bigger than we are. But you've allowed despair to come in and you're wondering what do I do and you run ahead of God's plan and he leaves his servant there he goes himself a day's journey into the wilderness and he comes and he sits down under a broom tree and he asks that he might die he says it's enough now O Lord take away my life I'm no better than my father's it's despair it's depression. I, I, I don't think I'm, Dad, you're the elder of the church. You're the elder of my life. If I'm out of line, I want you to speak up. But if we believe the Bible says that if you look upon a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery. If we believe the word of God says if you harbor uh, 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 hateful thoughts in your mind, you might as well have committed murder. Then I believe if we start harboring suicidal thoughts in our minds, it's as if we've already done it. And here's the thing. Some of you would look at me and say, well, Pastor, I, I'm not going to harbor uh, uh, suicidal thoughts. I don't, I don't want to harbor suicidal thoughts. But some of you have prayed the same prayer of, of, of Elijah, and you've said, well, maybe I won't take my life, but God, just wipe me off the face of the earth. I don't need to be here any longer. That's just as bad as someone getting the rope and hanging. I've had, now watch this. He said... I've had enough. That is the most worst, that's not the proper grammar, but that is the worst prayer you can ever pray. Lord, 
I've had enough. Can I just tell you today that the enemy wants your life. The enemy wants to take your life, but God does not want to take your life. And when, when Elijah began to pray that, that was not God's will. Elijah was burned out. Elijah was weary. I could preach a whole message right now on people who are weary and the dangers that come when you are tired. You want to know when I fight my biggest spiritual battles? I'll just be honest. That way there's accountability. Brother Harpo, you, you've pastored. You know, you know when I, I'm going to fight my biggest battle? Tonight when all of you go to bed and sleep and I'm just winding down and I'm trying to get all this out, that's when the enemy comes in because I'm weary. I'm tired. I've had to learn some things in my life. But Elijah was burned out. Elijah was weary. Elijah was in despair. Elijah was hungry. There's, there's something to be said about that. Elijah was, he had a sense of failure. He thought that, that I mean, as great as that miracle was on Mount Carmel, he thought the whole country would just fall on their face like they did in Nineveh and all repent. I mean, what a miracle, but it didn't happen that way. And so Elijah felt in some sense that he was a failure. And some of you, and whatever it is, you've allowed the enemy to begin to talk to you and say you failed at something just because it didn't happen the way you thought it was supposed to happen. And he began to lose faith in God. That Everything right there tells me he was in despair. But there was also one thing I've noticed when it comes to despair, depression. There is a, there is a companion spirit that walks hand in hand with despair. It's the element, it's the spirit of pride and the spirit of self-pity. And, and when you get self-pity, oh, woe is me, everything's happening to me. Look at how bad I've got it. Look what, what's happening in my life. Nobody's had it as hard as I have. Nobody's been through what I've been through. And when you have a sense of pride that says, I should have uh, uh, seen this miracle somewhere. It didn't happen the way I thought. And you allow pride and self-pity, and you allow that to marry with despair, you're in a dark place. He said, I'm, I'm done. And he began to lay down under the tree. I don't know how long he slept. I don't know if it was just a few minutes, a few hours, or if he collapsed in that time of exhaustion, laid himself down. And, and, but, but somewhere in that, an angel came and touched him and said, Arise and eat. And, and he gets up, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, he laid down, or he drank, and he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him, said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. He arose, he ate, he drank. He went on the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horab, the mount of God. I'm saying this. As best I can say it. But at that moment, he was strengthened, but he was not out of the woods yet. Some of you today, you just need to keep coming to church and keep letting the word of God, the bread of life, speak to you. You may not be out of the woods. 
You may not be done crying your tears. You may not be out of the despair. That, that, that gloom of depression may still be on you, but you're never going to get where God wants you to get if you don't eat some of God's word right now and give you some strength to walk you where God wants you to be. But all too often, God begins to speak. You get your word, and you see something there, and you just say, I don't need it. It would have been as dumb to not take the word of God as it would be for Elijah, that food there from the angel uh, sitting there, and, and Elijah goes, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not hungry. The angel is literally, the, the translation of angel is messenger. It's God's messenger. Sometimes you have angels, the Bible says you entertain angels unaware, and I think we need to get away from thinking we entertain Gabriel and we entertain, you know, uh, cherubims and we entertain, you know, dudes with white wings walking in, and you need to understand that there are so many times that God sends a messenger into your life to give you some bread, to give you some word, to give you some sustenance, to give you something that will just help you get the strength to make it one more day, make it one more night, make it one more time, make it one more place, because God's got a purpose for you and he knows where you are. He hasn't forgotten you. He's standing there in heaven and he knows every step you're taking and he's waiting to see if you'll get to where he can meet your need. And so he ate the spiritual meat and it gave him strength for the journey. It was not a quick journey. It was not an instant journey. I'm lit, hoping somebody here today hears me. He still was carrying the weight. I, I, I believe with everything in me, he still carried Jezebel's letter with him. And, you know, maybe in that, the Bible says it was a 40-day journey. It was almost a, uh, here I wrote it in my notes, it was a 200-mile uh, a journey that he took. And I wonder if every night he picked up that and read it and the tears began to flow again and the depression, the despair began to come again. But he was, he was determined and he walked with the strength of that meat that God gave him. And he said, I think if I can just get to the end of the journey, God will be there. This is why I can tell you today that I'm okay if God doesn't instantly touch you. Sometimes he gives you the strength to keep on walking until you can reach a cave on the middle of the mountain of God where God and Elijah are going to finally speak. So it is 200 miles later from Beersheba, Beersheba to Sinai. A journey that at the most should have taken two weeks. Took him 40 days. For whatever reason, you can decide why. Some say the 40 connects to all the 40s in the Bible. I don't know. I'd just like to tell you he took his time. Because when you're in despair, you don't move as quick as you used to. But he gets there, he comes to a cave, and he lodges in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. First question, listen to me very carefully. First question God asks him. Because there's two. First question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds. 
I've been very jealous for the Lord. What he, what he means is I've done everything, man. I have, I've preached. I've fought the good fight. I've, I've gone to church. I've paid my tithes. I've, I've taught my Sunday school lesson. I've sang in the choir. I've played the drum. Whatever it is. I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. And the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What you doing here, Elijah? Oh, I've experienced so many trials, God. God, I've, oh God, if you could only know what I've gone through. It's a funny prayer, ain't it? The God that sees all, knows all, is in all. If you could just know what I've walked through, God, you wouldn't ask me that question. If you'd only been here four days ago, my brother wouldn't have died. You don't know what I've been going through. What it is, is it's a response that's still connected to his pride and his self-pity and his despair. He was in so much despair, he wanted to give up his, his, his life. He wanted to give up his calling. He said, I, I've been faithful, but I'm the only one left. I'm the only one righteous. I'm the only one that's fighting. I'm the only one experiencing despair. And by the end of my sermon, I'm going to come back to that I'm the only one part. But he said, that, I don't understand it, God. And then that ambiguous they. He should have just said, one crazy lady. But it's they. You ready? The whole world is against me. One of the, it, in, in, in World War II, there was an interesting thing, and I don't remember, I think it was around the Battle of the Bulge, or at least in that European theater of the war. The Allies were in a tight spot. They really didn't have the manpower to withstand the attack of the Axis. And they, they knew there was no way, they didn't have enough tanks, they didn't have enough soldiers, they didn't have, and so they literally made out of latex or balloons or whatever you know large tarps they made inflatable tanks and set them up and they made fake guns and when the axis powers began to come in they saw a greater army than what was really there and they retreated it's part of the art of war Deception is part of the art of war. If you want to win, you got to show yourself that you have more power. Think back to, to, to Gideon's army when they broke the, the, the pots and pulled out their, their torches and blew the trumpets. There was just, what, 300 men there? But when you do all that, it made that whole uh, forest come alive, that whole hillside come alive, and it caused chaos in the camp. The enemy knows that too, and the enemy loves to tell you they are coming for you. Our whole world is a you when in reality it's one defeated enemy and God has an interesting response he doesn't answer really he just says go stand on the mount before the Lord and behold the Lord passed by I don't know exactly how it all happened a great wind some say it was a tornado of sorts 
A great wind came and tore the mountain. The wind was so strong, it was throwing rocks down the mountain. And if you've ever been around a mountain when the rocks are avalanching down, it's a great cacophony of noise. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake and more rocks come tumbling down. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Sometimes we look for God in the wrong places. You just live through a storm. Why are you wanting God to show up in a new storm? I don't need a storm from God. I just got out of a storm. But after the fire, the Bible says, the English Standard Version says, we, we talk about a still small voice, but the English Standard Version says it better. It says, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and there came a voice to him saying and here's the second question what are you doing here Elijah now I don't know if Elijah didn't listen to God first and he stayed in the cave when the fire the wind and the storm came or if he was went to the cave and then the rocks started falling and the hurricane came and the tornado came and the rocks fell and he ran back into the cave but he got back out and he came God began to speak to him there's a lot of reasons that people say he came in the wind and the earthquake and the fire but it was that still small voice that got Elijah's attention what are you doing here Elijah answers in the same way that he had answered before and the most interesting thing the most interesting response was that God did not even identify what Elijah said. Have you ever had that? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you tell them something and then they start talking and they don't validate what you just said? You ever had that? Sometimes we do it on purpose. And God did not even validate the fears. God did not even validate the despair. God did not even validate what was going on. In fact, if you would allow me to say it, God just glossed over it. Here is a man that is broken. He has experienced a, a hunger. He's experienced a journey. He's experienced the storms. And now God is speaking to him. And God doesn't even validate his complaint. Instead, this is how God answers his despair. Go back and while you're headed back, stop by Damascus and anoint Hazel to be king over Jerusalem. Seriously? You're not going to tell me how, how I feel is okay? You're not going to tell me that it'll be okay and pat me on the shoulder? You're not going to hold me for a little bit? God says, no, get back because where you are is not where you need to be. Go back to where you started. And let me remind you that in your despair and in your hurt and in your pain, God's not done with you. Let me say it again. In your despair and in your hurt and in your pain, God's not done with you. 
I'm going to say it again until you get it. In your hurt, in your despair, in your depression, in your pain, in your agony, in your tears, in your crying, and all that's going on, God is telling you in a still small voice, get up, go back. I'm not done with you. I still need you. I still want you. I still got a purpose for you. I'm not done. Bible says this in Psalms chapter 103 and I'll kind of paraphrase a little bit Psalms 103 verse 10 and verse 14 it says that he has not dealt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities and that doesn't mean that God glosses over our sin it doesn't mean that God just ignores it but instead it's that last part it says for he knows our frame and he remembers when we are dust We have a high priest touched by the feelings of our infirmities, tempted on all points like as we are. I've told you as long as I've been pastor that Jesus endured everything that you and I have endured, every temptation that you have been tempted with. Somewhere in the 33 and a half years of Jesus' life, he was tempted in that same way like as you were, yet he didn't sin. But listen to me, he is also touched by the feelings of your infirmities. He has hungered the way you've hungered. He has thirsted the way you've thirsted. He's experienced rejection. He's experienced despair. It was even there in the the. The, the, the garden of Gethsemane that he had great despair and he cried I don't want to go through this on the cross the humanity cried God you've forsaken me Do you know what got Jesus through it you know what got the humanity the flesh through the worst trial you could ever go through it was because all of a sudden he realized God's not done with this humanity yet there is still a purpose and I don't understand it I know it's going to hurt I know it's going to be but he knows our frame and he remembers why because he's walked where you've walked and he's walked the path you've walked he remembers your dust and he's okay with you being weak sometimes so God told Elijah, return to the place of duty. I have watched within the church. I'm speaking today not to those who despair in the world. I am preaching today not to sinners who are despairing. There's a whole other thing that needs to happen. But I am talking to Holy Ghost-filled people who have walked through some dark trials in your life. I am talking to Holy Ghost-filled people who have experienced the storms of life and you don't exactly know how to navigate the waters. But one of the things, Brother Sorrels, that I have seen all too often is when the storms of life come to a child of God, instead of it bringing them close to God, I have watched them run faster than God's presence I have watched them not darken the doors of God's house anymore because they're hurt they're in despair but God is telling you right now return to the place you last saw me what are you doing here Elijah I don't mean this to be harsh I don't mean this to to, to sound ignorant, but what Elijah should have said is, God, the reason I'm here is I'm just having a pity party. You say, Pastor, that's harsh, I know. But can I give you a Bible to back it up? 
Joshua had just seen the greatest defeat of Israel at Ai. They had just defeated the Israelite, or that they had just defeated Jericho. Now it's this little bitty podunk town called Ai. He don't even send the whole army. It should have been a cakewalk. And they come back and they're carrying, I think, 30 some odd people on their shields. They had died. And, and Joshua is on his face before God. For a whole day, Joshua is despairing. God, what am I going to do? And Joshua answers him. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. Look it up for yourself. Joshua hears the voice of God. God says, get up. Don't stay on your face any longer. Get out and fight again. When Samuel mourned over the failure of Saul, God said to Samuel, and God rebuked him, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn up with oil and go to the house of Jesse, a Benjamite, and watch what God does. Samuel goes and anointed, no matter how much, no matter how often, the servants of God may fall. The servants of God may fail. I'm here today to tell you that it never takes God by uh, surprise. God is never at a loss at what to do when you're walking in despair. God says simply, why don't you get up? Why don't you go back to my presence? Why don't you get back into the word? Why don't you get back into obeying the word? I've got a purpose for you. I haven't given up on you, so quit giving up on yourself. There's a lot more that I could say of that. I could tell you how the Lord told them, said, by the way, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 in Israel that's not bowed their knees. I, I, could, I could go into the fact that when he leaves there, he goes to Elisha plowing with 12 oak of oxen, and he could, he could throw his, his, his mantle over him, and he, he, he begins to mentor and invest in the next generation. I could spend time. But I hope you've seen through the story of Elijah, there's an answer for your despair. But I'm asking you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm making it a point to start my day before I do anything else by reading the Word of God. Last week, I just in my normal Bible reading, I came to 2 Corinthians just to read it again. I've read it so many times. I mean, in the last year or so, I've read the epistles two or three times, just over and over. But God began to, I couldn't escape it. God drilled it. God, it's just like God took my, my eyeballs and focused them. I've used this in funerals all over. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Basically, you've gone through a trial. God's given you comfort. Now you can go to someone else who's in maybe that same trial and comfort them with the comfort God gave you. It's a great verse for funerals. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort which you experience. That you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that you're 
that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. It's just Paul talking to the church, and it sounds good. It's just a good, uplifting. And Paul says this. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Now watch what Paul writes. And as we read that, would you let the, the emotions of Paul begin to pour out? For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Even the great Apostle Paul was not immune to despair. You want to know how he dealt with it? You want to know how he dealt with it? He said, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But then we realized it was to make ourselves rely not on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. And here's the answer. On him we set our hope that he will deliver us again. If despair is the absence of hope, you need to begin to say what Paul said. I'm here. I preached a message a few weeks ago. I'm still standing. And you need to say, hey, God has brought me through so much. He may not have brought me yet through this trial, but if the devil was going to kill me, he'd have killed me a long time ago. So what that tells me is I've still got hope. And you need to begin to say, I remember what he's done, and I have set my hope that he will deliver me again. I'm going to come back to that here in a second if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 I, I, I got to just, just read it quick I look at it you know but, but we don't lose heart in the first part we're not going to lose heart we understand that we have treasure this treasure in earthen vessels we know the power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The answer of why that is in verse 16. So that we do not lose heart, or if you will, we don't lose hope. That through that though our outer self might be wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. Let me stop. You say, well, uh, Paul's talking about light, momentary affliction. Uh-huh. Shipwrecked three times. Beaten three times. Boiled in oil once. Stoned and left half dead a few times. Beaten with stripes more than he can account for. That's what Paul called momentary light affliction. If I had that momentary light affliction, I wouldn't be here today most likely unless I could get a hold of what Paul begins to say. It doesn't matter what happens. This light momentary affliction is preparing me for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not to the things which are seen, but the things unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I'll tell you where your answer for despair is, is when you begin to look not on the actions and not on the things that have brought you to despair. 
despair, but you begin to realize that there is a hope that you have that will take you for It might be a season you're walking through. It might be a moment you're slogging through. You might be walking through quicksand and every step is sucking you down, but you need to understand there is hope. But it's verse 11 that God began to lock my eyeballs on in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Paul just admitted that he had went through a place where he was so utterly burdened beyond his strength that he despaired of life. Some of you theologians, you may tell me something entirely different. And I won't deny it, I won't tell you you're wrong, but as I begin to read that, God just said, Paul was despairing. Paul was depressed. And he began to say, I'm going to find hope. I'm going to get hope. But it's that next line. And he makes this statement. He says, you must help us by prayer. Sometimes I can't carry it on my own. And if Paul's big enough to say I have had my moments where I couldn't carry the burden anymore <laughs> and I've despaired of even life itself I'm asking you pray for me because sometimes you've already walked through a storm and you've got that hope firmly in your grasp and I'm not quite there yet and I need you to pray. I preached not things that I know. I preached things I've been through. Stood behind this pulpit. I've told you that I could match you tit for tat everything you think you've gone through. About the only thing I've not gone through is I was not abused by my, my parents. I know sometimes I say I have, but I, in reality I wasn't. That's about the only thing that I, if you walked me with that, with that life, I, I, I've not walked that. I've had incredible stood on the top of Urshan, the old Urshan, old gateway. I've stood on top of that, that cathedral, the chapel. One night I was, I was in my, my second year of gateway. There were some things happening in my life. I wasn't fighting them in the right arena. Some things were sinful and spiritual and I was trying to do other things with it and other things were happening in this and I was trying to think I could pray and fast it through and I, I didn't know how to fight it, I didn't know how to battle it. I'm glad all you Urshan students are away from there because I, you don't know all my secrets. I knew every nook and cranny of that place. I knew every secret passageway. I knew how to get to everywhere. I had the keys to that place. One night I climbed up those square towers and I crawled out the, the open air window there. 
I walked myself across the ridge line of that slate roof. The slates would fall off. I got to the end over the, the nave and I held on to a lightning rod. And me and God argued. It's the closest I've ever come to allowing the despair of my life to cause me to do something I'd regret for eternity. But up there on that precipice of a chapel, holding on to a lightning rod, God began to say, don't quit now. There's hope. I could tell you times from there that I have walked through some dark times and dark places. I know what it's like to have the veil of despair upon me. I know what it's like to just not even want to get up. I know what it's like to, to, to lay in bed and let a whole day pass because I didn't care. But through it all, in that still small voice, 